so how do you guys, how do you guys, you can talk to me here, how do you feel about the Jordan Bridge? No, yeses, noes, boos. All right, is there anybody here that will not drive over it? All right, a couple people. All right, (laughs) two hands. So, Bama, you're not afraid to say you're afraid. Scared. You say scared, right? So, 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 like, my mom won't drive over it. One time I think I I duped her into driving over it. So, um, I was like, no, turn this way. And next thing, she's like, I'm going to kill you. I'm like, it's okay, because you're probably going to kill us anyway, so driving over the edge. But, you know, the, the new Jordan Bridge is, it is pretty incredible, and um, it only amplifies it, the tension a little bit, knowing that they dropped a section of that bridge in the building process. Do y'all know that? I think a whole segment, you know, like dropped it. So anyways, the bridge, if you haven't driven it, it's, you know, you can, it's just a couple miles right that way. And um, you, it's 175 feet high. That's high. That's a really, that's a high bridge, and then it's 5,000 feet long, so right up at a mile. It's a mile long, and th- here's the thing that gets me. It's not necessarily the height, and it's not the length. It's the fact that it turns. Like, it's, it's, a bridge shouldn't zigzag like that, okay? And so, right about that point, man, I start to feel a little tension in my chest, and then, and then at that point, I grab the steering wheel with not one hand, because sometimes, you know, just knees, right? Uh, but no, I, no, I'm driving, I'm driving with two hands, you know, and I'm like, man, this is this is up here, and uh, and anybody else have that anxiety? All right, so a bunch of us. Now my wife, she's crazy because she likes to. I mean, y'all, yeah, um, I won't say anything else about that. But but no, my wife, like for fun, under her own free will, uh, chooses to go running over that bridge. And so a couple times a week, she was like, yeah, I'm going to go run. And she comes back, and, and I'm like, what'd you do? I ran over the Jordan Bridge. I'm like, seriously? Yeah. So that's something she chooses to do. Does anybody else choose to do that? You do? Okay, so you got a few other people here who are a little, a little different as well. That's the only hill we have. This guy, she is my mountain mama, so she, um, she misses the hill. So anyways, when I'm driving over that bridge, and when you're running on that bridge, you know what I'm really thankful for? guardrails. Guardrails. Now, vision real quick, driving over a bridge like that with no guardrails. Would that be terrifying? Now, but why? Why is that terrifying? Because I've never hit a single guardrail in my entire life, nor do I ever plan on running into a guardrail. I don't need the guardrail, right? But why, why is that something adds so much peace of mind? Or how about the Chesapeake Bay Bridge? You know, you, like every month you hear of something, somebody driving off the edge of that thing, you know? Yeah, tractor trailers, winds blowing, boom, they gone. And like, and so, and you're thinking, like, <laughs> it's not funny, but, yeah, uh, <laughs> but, um, guard, you know, like the the guardrail is there to uh, help protect people, and it also gives us a, it gives us a space, it gives us a margin, like a margin. You need to stay within this side and within this side. And and every now and then again, I think I'm like, what good would that guardrail really do? If I were to hit that thing, would it stop me? And yeah, it it must stop a lot of people because if um, you, you see skid marks, right? And you, and you see them zigzag, like swerving right to the guardrails, and you see it all bashed up. And you're like, okay, so it worked on that time apparently. But I guess if it's a big truck or a big vehicle, then you know, uh, you know, it's not going to stop it. But so, how crazy would it be if there were no guardrails? 
Uh, today we're continuing our series uh, called Roadmap, and we're looking at some lessons from the, uh, the small little letter uh, from John called First John. And um, it's a letter written by one of Jesus' closest friends, uh, one of his disciples, one of his dudes, you know. And except now, John wasn't a young man like he was when he was hanging with Jesus. He was a, a much older man. He's looking back over his time uh, decades earlier uh, that he spent with Jesus. And as, the, as he saw the culture around him changed, and he saw some of those changes creep in to the churches that he was helped leading. And so now John, as an old man, was writing to clarify, to kind of give us guardrails to the church, to some, some of these important pieces of our faith. And so, so first, John can, can uh, legitimately be seen as, as a roadmap for our faith, and so we don't get too far off course. He provides us these guardrails to keep us from veering off and taking, you know, the, the, the plunge. So today, uh, I'm going to look at what I, uh, we're going to look at what I believe is probably the most important question that you could ever ask, and uh, um, who is Jesus, right? You know, you could ask this question to a hundred different people, and you could get a hundred different answers. Who is Jesus? You know, Jesus was a, a good man, is what some people would tell you, like, oh, he was cool, Jesus was a good guy, that Jesus. Or some people say, you know, Jesus, he was a good teacher, and they look at some of the teachings of Jesus and the crowds that he drew uh, uh, and, and some of the methods he used to teach. And, and uh, they say Jesus was like the best of the best of the teachers. Still other people say, you know, Jesus was a prophet. He was from God and he spoke forth God's messages. But, you know, uh, there were a lot of prophets and Jesus was just one of them. And maybe he stands out a little bit. And so Jesus was one of those guys. And still other people would say uh, Jesus is... Uh, a person who embodied love. Jesus, he, he really loved people. And they see uh, the examples of him showing compassion. And, and, uh, or maybe Jesus was a miracle worker. Or uh, Jesus was a hippie, you know? And, and, and they have this image of Jesus just like, yeah, man, peace and love and happiness. And, um, and, and they have that image of Jesus. But I believe it's not only important question, but it's a necessary question for each of us to ask and each of us to come to a conclusion on who is this Jesus guy. And so, maybe you're here today and you're not really completely settled on who, who is this Jesus guy. And, and you know, that's okay. This is a place where you can be and you can have that doubt or, or those questions and it's okay to seek answers. And we love, we love to be a people and a place and a space where you can seek those answers. Um, but I pray that you will open yourself up to that journey today if that's a place where you are at. So we're going to dig into 1 John chapter 2, 18 uh, through 25 today. And, and it kicks off with this phrase, dear children. And this is a phrase we see over and over and over in 1 John, as John, uh, Papa John, you remember, uh, was, is writing to the, uh, the younger generation, to the church, and he's saying, dear children, he says, this is the last hour, and as you have heard, that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. And so, he, he uses this phrase with a couple of clarifying words here. The first one is the last hour. Okay, what does that mean, the last hour? Like, like it was John, did he le le legitimately think it was the last hour? If so, we missed something, right? Because he wrote 
almost 2,000 years ago, and he's talking about the last hour. Well, the last hour is a, is, is a, a term that denotes a period of time, whether, whether long or whether short, okay? Like, not necessarily a physical hour, obviously. He wasn't writing this thinking it was actually because by the time he wrote it and uh, that thing on some papyrus and, and sent that thing along the way, you know, time is gone, right? But he's not, obviously not talking about a, a physical hour. And, and he wasn't necessarily talking about a short period of time. But he's talking about a period of time, regardless of how long it is, that will usher in the ending of time. So what he's saying is this. We're at the last piece of history. We don't know how long this piece of history is going to last, but, but God has worked through pieces of history, and some of them were really long, and some of them were short, you know, re- really long, like, like God working through the Israelites, you know, for thousands of years, and, and then, then we see this really dynamic piece of history, like the Jesus event that lasted 33 years, and, and that is a very important piece of time in God's history of, of the salvation of the world, so a very short period of time, and now... After Jesus died, he rose again. We're in another piece of time. This is called uh, uh, the last hour. In fact, so, so we've been in this last hour, so to speak, since Jesus went uh, uh, ascended back into heaven. And, and, and history is in this final stage, this last piece of the puzzle. It's always uh, the second coming when Jesus comes back again is always viewed in the scriptures as being near. So church, we should, be, we should be near. We're in the last hour. And then he talks about this uh, term, which may have creeped a lot of people out over the years, is the Antichrist. Dear children, this is the last hour, and you have, as you have heard, that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have they've already come. So the Antichrist, a lot of time we get um, this image of this person or this being who is larger than life, or, or maybe they're political, or maybe they're, uh, maybe they're not. But we have this, this picture of this person, this figure that will come in history, that will try to come and glorify himself over God and, and try to lead peop- many people away from Jesus. But listen, the Antichrist, uh, may, well, many theologians think this Antichrist will be like a person, or it could be even an ideology, and while this may have truth to it, I'm not saying it doesn't, John uses the word antichrist, and he's emphasizing that there are many antichrists already. Like, this is John writing in like 90 AD, okay? Uh, probably from Ephesus, and there's a group of Gagua churches there that he's uh, in their region that he's leading, and he's already saying, like, like the, the antichrist is already here. So what does anti mean? Against. It means against. Uh, so antichrist is, is someone who is against Christ. And we'll find out a little bit more what that means in just a second. Um, it, it's one who denies the truth about Jesus. It's someone who... who um, and we're not just talking about misunderstanding, and we're not just talking about like uh, seeking out Jesus and not fully understanding, but like blatant denying of who Jesus is. And, and so there are antichrists all around us today. And so that's why we see how serious this question is, who is Jesus? Like we, we need to know the answer to this. We need to get to the bottom of this. We need to actually invest some time 
and some, some mental and emotional and spiritual energy investigating this person, Jesus. Because, well, I don't want to be antichrist, you know. And, and then John continues in verse 19. He says, they, they went out from us. These antichrists, they went out from us. So they were part of the church. But they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would, not, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. So some people were, were, who were physically, like physically part of, uh, of the church, they were going out and they were spreading some teaching that wasn't true about Jesus. And they're, they're starting to veer off course. They're going over the edge, John's saying. So John's trying to lay some parameters. He's trying to lay some of these guardrails. So like at least if someone went over, we'd know it. It would cause a ruckus instead of just veering off gently and no one ever knew. So they're going out and, and, and teaching. And, and it may sound really harsh, the things that John is saying. But we need to understand how important it was that he was saying them and why he was saying them so harsh. So John, John's just trying to define the terms. And in verse 22, it says, Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. So the Messiah, the Christ, is a, is a Greek word. Also, in the Hebrew equivalent or Aramaic equivalent of Messiah. And those mean anointed one. And so in the Old Testament time, the anointed, anointings happened to very important and special people, for, for, uh, specifically the prophets who spoke from God, the priests who uh, were God's in-between between man and God, and the kings who were to rule over the people. So the prophets, priests, and kings, uh, they were all anointed with oil, they were, and they were set apart to be something and to be someone special in the story. Okay, and so Jesus isn't called just... Uh, and anointed one, he is like the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He's the Christ. And so he is like the one who's going to come and be the ultimate, uh, the ultimate prophet, the ultimate one to, uh, to speak on behalf of God. He's going to be the ultimate priest. He's the one who is going to be the, the go-between between God and humanity for once and for all and forever. We don't need any other priest. No more, okay? Like Jesus is it. And now... The king, prophet, priest, and king, and Jesus is our king. Okay, he's our Lord, our Savior, he's our king. And so who is this Jesus guy? Well, he's the Christ, he's the Messiah, he's the anointed one. And so some people were going out from the church, early church, and they were preaching trash, you know, they were preaching stuff about Jesus. And, um, you know, some possibilities, we don't know exactly what they're saying, but we can catch some inferences that, hey, Jesus was a good man. He was a prophet. He was just a teacher. Or, and some of them uh, were starting to deny the physical nature of Jesus. Because remember, this is like a generation past Jesus. John is an old man now. He was still remembering back to his time, and that's why he harps. No, like, this is the Jesus that we touched. This is the Jesus we walked with. This is the Jesus that, that we heard, you know, and, and we were there. We saw him. So a lot of people are starting to deny the physical nature of Jesus' humanity. 
You know, and it sounds a lot like our culture today where, where we are so eager or we are so willing to pick and choose whatever beliefs fit us the best, whatever beliefs suit us, whatever's convenient. And, and you know what you find is you will find that people's life will look like this as far as what they believe. As long as we're picking whatever suits us, that's going to change day to day. It's going to change season to season. I was at the coffee shop in downtown Portsmouth. There's an older gentleman that I see all the time there, and he knows I'm a preacher. So he's a preacher. You know, we always talk. And he said, here's what I have wrong with the Bible. He says, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. You know what the rest of that verse says? That, that he gave his only, one only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so he said this. He said, for God so loved the world. That's where it should end, right there. Right? And you know what he was doing right there? He was picking something he wanted to be true. That God so loved the world, and there's no other part of the story that, that we need to believe, we need to trust, you know? And that's a picture of our culture. And listen, that's a picture of what many people in the church are, 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 are starting to believe, is that we, we want to pick and choose what we believe about Jesus. And John is laying down guardrails. I know. Like, you can't just do that. Life doesn't work like that. Jesus doesn't work that way. So, Jesus claimed to be from God, fully God, in the flesh he was fully human, he did things that only God could do, miracles, and he forgave sins that were against God, you know you can't forgive if you weren't the one sinned against, he received worship as, as God, like people would fall down and worship him and call him divine names, and he like, yep, took it. He didn't stop it. Those who were closest to him were at times the very most skeptical about him. And they're the same ones that saw Jesus die and they saw him rose again. And, and their lives were changed. They were the biggest advocates giving their very lives uh, for the cause of Jesus. You know, so if the shoe fits, right? You look at all these prophecies over, over uh, the, the Old Testament ranging from thousands of years to five to seven hundred years before Jesus. And all these prophecies, they lay out very uh, specific details about Jesus and his identity and who he was. So, uh, Joshua McDowell, in his uh, book, More Than a Carpenter, he, he says, you know, we have three options to this Jesus guy. And, and you probably have um, heard this before, many of you guys, but... He says the, the first option that we have for Jesus is lie, he's a liar. Right? That doesn't sound right saying, does it? But it says, that he, he says if we're going to follow this to his rational conclusion, the first option is Jesus is a liar. If Jesus, if Jesus wasn't who he said he was, one option would be that he was just completely just shooting a load of mess. Like this would be intentional, one, like one of the worst deceptions that would ever uh, have, have been in our human history, because now as over a billion people claim Jesus in our world today, and many more uh, throughout the history of the last 2,000 years, and this all came just from a, a guy who was just shooting some mess. We would all, every last one of us, would have been duped. The same Jesus who taught truth who taught honesty, who taught love, 
would have been a liar. And here's the thing, we can't separate Jesus' teachings from who he was. And if he was a liar, he was one of the worst kinds. And it's because it was so wrapped up into his identity. So, is Jesus a liar? You know, I, I don't think so. I don't think Jesus was a liar. That's not the picture that we get of him. The, the other option we have when it comes to Jesus' identity, who, if he, well, if he claimed these things that he said, and, and they're not true that he's a, a liar, or uh, he could have just be a lunatic, right? I don't know about you, but that's not really the picture that I see of Jesus either. Uh, if Jesus was who he said, if Jesus wasn't who he said he was, he could have been a liar, or he could be a lunatic. Like, maybe this one wouldn't be as intentional as being a blatant liar, but he could have been off. He could have been a few fries short of a Happy Meal. You know what I'm saying? He could have been like crazy. This happens all the time. You know where people are delusional or they have, have uh, delusions of grandeur and uh, uh, people thinking that they're someone that they're not or people thinking they're more significant or powerful than they are. So he could have been a lunatic, but this doesn't really sound like the Jesus we read of either. You read the stories of his wit, you know, when, when the, the, the smartest of the culture were trying to pin Jesus down, Jesus, like, uh, just did, went verbally Chuck Norris on him and, and turned it all around and, and had him in a headlock, you know? And you see uh, Jesus, is his, his quick wit, you see, um, you, you see his compassion, you see his strong sense of reality. You see, uh, you don't see the markings of a lunatic. And then our third option that we're left with is, well, we could call him Lord. We can call him Lord, Master, Savior. That is that Jesus was his true identity as in the Son of God, as the Messiah coming into the world to save humanity, uh, to reconcile us back to God the Father. All these, other things, uh, all these other things can't be true, that Jesus is a liar and that Jesus is a lunatic. Those can't be true if he is the Lord. You know, the scripture tells us he can't just be a great teacher. He can't just, just be a prophet, can't just be a moral example. He, can't, he cannot just be the perfect embodiment of love. He can't just be a really cool guy he, uh, because the, the things he said, if they weren't true, he would have been the worst liar or the worst lunatic. C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity, he says, I'm, I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would, would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on level with the man who is saying that he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, and you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. So we kind of see these options that, that we have of who Jesus is. But yet people are so quick today to pick the bits and pieces that are convenient 
that work for me. You know, whatever fits into my schedule, whatever fits into my vibe, whatever, whatever works well with my life. We pick those bits and pieces. And so, people today, uh, a majority of people believe in God. You know, not everybody, but a majority of people believe in God. And, and, and we see this kind of thought process being more and more pervasive, where people believe in God, and they may or may not believe in Jesus, but they kind of think he was a cool guy, you know? And so there's some homage there to Jesus, but, but, not, but not really sure. But, but John, as we continue in verse 23, he says, No one who denies the Son, referring to Jesus, the Son, no one who denies the Son has the Father. And he says, whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Seems to me that John lays out two pretty clear guardrails right there. One's on one side of the road, one's on the other. And we can't veer too far off of those guardrails without going over the edge. The first one is if you deny Jesus, you don't have God. If you deny Jesus, then you don't have God. And on the other side, if you acknowledge Jesus, you have God. And so, church, we need to get to the bottom of this who is Jesus question. Because we believe we have hope that exists for the world. So who is this guy? The, who is Jesus? I believe it's the most important question. If, and if you're here today and you're still unsettled, you know, like, like we, man, get to the bottom of this, you know? Like, let us journey alongside of you. Let, well, if you have questions, we'll help you seek answers. And, and this is a place where you can do that. But you cannot leave those questions unattended because they're too important. First John, uh, continuing verse 24, he says, As for you, see that you see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. And so there's a couple of things I want to challenge us with as a church today. And the first one is, is that uh, if you're still seeking, never committed, to find those answers, to, to double down. Say, you know what, I'm not going to be lazy about this. I'm going to pursue the truth to this question. The who is Jesus question is the greatest question we can seek to answer. Of all the great questions that we could ask, you know, that the Jesus question is the most important. No man has ever... Uh, claims to have uh, no man that made the claims that Jesus made has any evidence to support it, right? A lot of people have claimed to, to be God or a lot of people claim to be Jesus or to be some kind of Messiah figure but no person that has ever claimed that has any shred of evidence to support it and Jesus has left us some evidence in, in who he is so the, that's the first thing I want to challenge you with. If, if you're still trying to figure out this Jesus guy, to, to do it, and we're here to help you. I would love to meet with you and study with you and, and help you, uh, point you in, toward, uh, in some directions. And the second thing I want to challenge us with today's church is this, is our faith, as we're talking about guardrails, our faith has the tendency to run off course over time. You know that? That our faith, over time, it has the tendency, like, like our alignment goes bad, you know, and, uh, uh, and, 
and we have to constantly fight that. You know, we have to constantly pull the wheel back, and, and, and those guardrails are in place so that we won't get too far off. If, and so if you're here, you're a believer. If you're a believer today, um, that we need to take a note from the band journey, you know, don't stop believing, right? That's the guardrails. That's why we need each other, church. That's why so much of the Bible is correcting the false teachings that were going on in their day. And it's a challenge to us to stay faithful because we need, our faith will have a tendency to veer off. It's why we need each other. It's why we need God's word and it's why we need God's spirit. We need to continually focus our faith. And that's one of the frustrating things about being a pastor. You know, sometimes it's the best job, and sometimes it, it's probably the worst. But, but one of the frustrations is that um, seeing people who at one point loved God, and um, they trusted Jesus, they were baptized, and, and then you see them over time veer off course. And it's usually not a mental rejection of Jesus. It's just this veering, this slow veer, and the next thing you know, they're gone over the edge. And that's one of the things that heart, is heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. It's, 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 it's a lie. And Satan, God's, God's enemy, tries to veer us off course. He uses people. He uses circumstances. He uses time or whatever he can to veer us off course so we'll no longer have impact. You know, uh, the book of Revelation, written by John, our guy John, and uh, uh, John is on this island, he is exiled, and, and he receives this vision from God about the end of time, and all kinds of cool stuff, These, a lot of symbolism and, and pictures, and, and one of the things, uh, Jesus, uh, part of this vision, is G Jesus is giving a message to these churches in uh, Asia Minor. He's given, he's given a message, and to the church in Laodicea, he gives this message, he says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock, you know, you can almost hear it, right? I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And a lot of times this, this verse has been used like, hey, if you don't have Jesus, he's knocking at your door, you need to let him in. But here's the problem. Who is he, right? Who is he saying this to? To the church. Like Jesus is saying this to the, hey, I'm standing, I'm outside. Now, not right to a church, like to a building. Church is not a building, right? Church is a people, it's a community. So here's the question is why the heck was Jesus on the outside in the first place of a church? You know? Because faith has a tendency to veer off course. So church, I want to challenge you to, to stay focused, to identify these guardrails of, of who Jesus is. And then the, the last challenge today is for those who believe that Jesus should become the anchor point to every area of our life. For those of us that believe, like Jesus should become the anchor for every area of our life. And this is, this is inconvenient. Uh, you know, it, it forbids us from picking and choosing the, the different images of Jesus that we like. But, but every area of our life, are your relationships struggling? Then, then uh, we need to uh, 
figure out the Jesus way, you know, to reconcile, to forgive, to love. Are your finances falling apart? We need to look at the Jesus way. Is your stress out of whack? We need to look at the Jesus way. Uh, are, are you feeling scared or tired or angry or bitter? Are you anxious? Are you amb- ambivalent? You know, whatever. I and mean, we need to find the Jesus way. And maybe you're here today and you've left Jesus out of far too many areas of your life. I want to challenge you to hinge your life around Jesus to let him be the anchor point to every area of your life. And our lives will be changed as we continue day by day to let him impact and affect all that we are. So John lays us out some guardrails. Who is Jesus? He's the son of God. He's the one. He's the only.